Uh-huh. Well, good morning again, church. If some of you parents are like Pastor David, that type is so small. That was not fun. We decided that when our younger staff members who didn't um, need the same strength prescription glasses as us could read it with that, it was good enough. So that was, that was it. Our, our older staff members, we gave up on it and just use your phone to magnify it out. It's good to be here. If you have a Bible, turn to Romans chapter 12 today. As we walk through um, this, I want to let you know, um, I made a joke about it last week and then the Lord caught my attention. Um, This week, as I started preparing for the sermon, um, I I just start, how I normally start sermon preparation is I just start writing and journaling through it. And it took me 45 minutes to get through verse one. I mean, verse three, you know, one verse. And I thought, Lord, we cannot do this. We really can't spend seven years on Romans. And so uh, it's fantastic to walk through, but there's so much needed here. And, and I would tell you, as we've been talking, that Romans verse three through eight doesn't exist on an island. Just remember that, right? Remember, it doesn't exist on an island. And what I mean by that is this, is that Romans three through eight belong linked to Romans one and two, okay? Romans one and two a living sacrifice, that's a joyful thing, that's a good thing, it's, it's worth encouraging. Uh, Romans verse 2 then says, okay, this is kind of what it looks like. This is how we kind of play into that, how it becomes something that is our spiritual act of worship that's pleasing to God. And Romans 3 then puts all of that, this picture of, of a living sacrifice, into this context of how we can live this out in peace. In other words, Paul, almost as if he is inspired by the Holy Spirit, which he is, says, after I give you these massive truths, I want you to know there's probably a roadblock that you come up against in your life, and I want you to be successful in this passage. So look in verse three with me, Romans chapter 12, all right? We'll just read that one verse by itself. The Bible says this. It says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. And we're gonna just kind of break this this verse apart. We're gonna spend more time in verse three than the rest, but we're gonna get it all in. But verse three has some some parts to it that we don't wanna miss about. And the first part is this, Paul says again, by the grace given to me. I say. In other words, again, he is founding what he's talking about on grace. And I don't know about you, um, but did you have summer jobs growing up uh, in high school? We always, I don't think there was ever a summer that I didn't have a summer job growing up. One summer, my older brother was a gymnast. So guess what I taught one summer? Gymnastics with four-year-olds, y'all. I mean, that's a humbling experience. I mean, that, that's, it's a different world. And, and outside of the foam pit, which is what you jump in at the end of every practice to be, you know, I think that's the reward at the end. I love being in there to watch what the really good gymnasts did on the floor. I mean, the fact that you can run and jump and spin 412 times and land is impressive. But do you know something about that floor is different than this floor? If you ever watch a gymnast train for their routine, they never train those jumps on the floor. They never would do it. You would never have someone do it right here because the floor at a gym has something special underneath it. Do you know what it is? 
springs that's exactly right it's got springs in it and what it does is that's why you feel like you're running faster when you jump you jump higher it just makes everything easier it makes everything have life to it if you ran and tried to do a triple somersault land on your feet on the concrete even if you landed on your feet if you're over 40 did your knees hurt when you thought about that that just there's some pain in that that comes with it and what happens is the springs they didn't change someone's ability when they were on the floor if you could put me on the floor today and i could do a cartwheel just like i could on the floor if you said oh pastor david jump on that floor and do a standing backflip, i would say you have lost your mind right i don't have that ability it it just amplifies what's already there that talent or skill it doesn't give you something new and that's the picture that i have when i think about grace as the foundation for who i am and for who i will be as a living sacrifice in christ when our foundation for living for jesus christ is based on his grace when it's the launching point for every action every thought it's life-giving when grace is the launching point, the foundation for every act you do for the Lord, every thought you have, every move that you make. It's life-giving. And quite honestly, it's fun to watch. It's fun to watch people thrive. It's fun to watch someone run hard after the Lord and it just be a blessing. It's amazing to watch when we see someone or when we are someone who lives out our life not as if we are such wretched people we can't believe God would let us drip it, dripping into heaven. Once you are bathed in the blood of Christ, you have been washed clean and your foundation has changed. It's one of grace. And that's why Romans is written to the church. And I want to ask you right now, and this is not for participation out loud, but just in and of yourself, because you may need to stop here. When you try to live your life running after Jesus in a way that's pleasing to God as a living sacrifice, is it really supported by the grace of God that has been given to you? Or is it supported by something else? Are you trying to prove your worth to God? You're just trying to survive this world and make it to eternity. You see, if grace isn't your foundation, you may need to stop here and just meditate for a while for the next 20 minutes. Because I think at times we believe that the gospel and living for God is a burden. And if we believe it's burdensome, then grace is not your focus. It's not what's happening. Maybe living your life for Christ has been like a gymnast practicing their routine on a concrete floor. Your knees hurt, your back hurts, and you feel like you're always landing on your backside. Have you felt that way? Like, I keep trying to live for you, Jesus. I keep trying to follow you, Jesus. I keep trying to do the right thing, Jesus. I keep trying to, and I keep messing up and messing up and messing up and messing up. Well, Paul would say, well, are you living for him by the grace given to you? Are you trying to please God some other way? Remember, salvation is a gift of God to you by grace. This is why this is in chapter 12, not in chapter 1. 
This is a gift of God for you. Are you still treating salvation and life and following Jesus as a gift? Paul says it starts with grace. Go back to verse three. Let's read it again. Chapter 12, verse three. For by the grace given to me, listen to this. I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought. Not to think more highly of himself than his ought. What's, what's funny is grace has a way of keeping our mind aligned with God. A narcissistic person, a person who's puffed up in their pride, or as we'll find out, someone who's beating themselves down, they are not living in grace. Because grace opens our eyes to the truth and the joy and the life and the light that comes with God. It doesn't point our eyes anywhere else. When you look in this passage, it says, you not, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. More highly than you ought is a, is a Greek word, and, and in that, it's made up of two parts. Hyper phroneo. The word hyper, right? It means out of bounds, above, beyond, right? When you say, I'm so sorry, my child is hyper, what do you say? <laughs> they are not playing in the boundaries that I would like them to play in, Amen right so christy says it about me so i'm so sorry david's feeling hyper today right that's why we're on decaf you follow me like when we say the word hyper we're thinking out of bounds phroneo means to have understanding so what paul says is if you want to live a living sacrifice that's pleasing to god which is joyful thanksgiving and all the things from two weeks ago in a way that is attached to this renewal of your mind then it must be done on a foundation of grace and on a foundation of grace it doesn't think out of the bounds or boundaries of reality of who you are it has a proper understanding it means we're careful to view ourselves the way God's called us to view ourselves, what's right, what's real, what's true, not a place that is out of bounds or out of boundaries. Now, there are two ways to go out of bounds here. The first is the most obvious, pride. When it says you might not, you shouldn't think more highly of yourself than you ought to, then you should, should not be prideful. You shouldn't think you're more brilliant than you are. You're further along than you are. You shouldn't think that you're able to do everything. You shouldn't put yourself in a category that says, I deserve X, Y, or Z all the time. If you think of yourself in pride where the mirror and the face in the mirror is what captivates you, that's out of bounds. So if you visit church, welcome to Parkway. If you run across a pastor, a teacher, or a believer who is living out of bounds with who they are in the body of Christ, you have my permission to walk away because they aren't living their life on grace, which means they aren't experiencing the joy of being a living sacrifice. You follow me? That's just as true in your own life. Now, here's the crazy thing. There's multiple boundaries one in our life is high. What's the other one? Low. You see, what Scripture says is you aren't to think of yourself pridefully. And I, I wrote my Bible like Lamech, which was Cain's son, who says if God's curse for Cain was one thing, then mine is 77-fold. It's 10 times more. 
but it can be to despise yourself or lower the boundaries. Paul wrote about this in Romans chapter 7. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? If the chapter ended there, that would be a low view of yourself. If you are saved in Christ Jesus and you walk around thinking, I am wretched, I am a failure, I can never do it, I can never be pleasing to God, I deserve all of this pain, I don't want to release myself from this pain. If you say, I don't like who I am, I don't feel comfortable in my skin, all of these things, then you're out of bounds. Paul shows us what the boundary is. In verse 25, he, he follows that verse with, who will save me? Thanks be to God, through Christ Jesus our Lord. Like, I've been saved. But if every single day, every single thought is a wrong belief, my body is so broken, I am no use on this planet anymore. My mind isn't like it was. I'm just good for nothing. I keep making the same mistakes over and over again. Lord, maybe your grace isn't enough. Do you see how detrimental the bottom boundary is compared to the upper boundary? See how, how much tension there is in that verse? When we think of ourselves with a hyperphroneo, then we wreck our witness. We hand away the pleasure of following Christ and it leaves us lonely and shallow in our faith. So what scripture says is walk back from that. For by the grace given to me, I say to you, don't think of yourself out of bounds of reality, but, go back to verse three, we'll finish it off here. But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. It's so important that Paul said, I won't just give you the negative, I'll give you the positive, right? I, I, I wear glasses in here, right? Kids, if you have your magnifying glass, hold your magnifying glass up for me. All right, if you have it, I want you to do this. I want you to look through your magnifying glass across the room. What do you see? Is it clear or is it fuzzy? It's fuzzy, isn't it? Yeah, when we are using the wrong lens to look at life, it's fuzzy, it's messed up. Just like when our glasses, some of you are this way, right? Like your glasses can have fingerprints all over them and it doesn't bother you. Something's wrong with you. Right? right, Glasses are here to help us see clearly. So Paul doesn't just say, don't live a fuzzy view of life. He says, I want you to see yourself clearly. And the words here are with sober judgment. Each according to the measure of grace that God has given to you. In other words, you have something to be proud of. Paul would say, if you boast, boast in Christ alone. Paul says to encourage each other daily as long as it's called today. We don't have pride in ourselves, but we have pride in the work that God is doing in us. You see, there's a difference. One sees rightly. One doesn't pretend you can do what you can't. And one doesn't pretend you can't do what you can. Because to despise yourself, that's not a God-honoring thing. But to have a proper view of judgment of sin, that's okay. Romans chapter 2. For the kindness of the Lord leads us to what, church? Repentance. 
right? There's a time in your life when the Spirit shows you through His kindness, whether that's through discipline or encouragement, that you are walking in a path you ought not walk. Let God's kindness turn your back from that. Let it turn you around. Sober judgment says, you know what? I am not so wretched that I am unredeemable. Christ's blood is enough. His plans for me are good. But in order to experience that, I need to listen to his voice and I need to turn my back on the direction that I'm going. That's sober judgment. Sober judgment doesn't pretend in false humility. It says, God, if you've given me this gift for this moment, then let me use it for your glory. Sober judgment doesn't say, God, I, I just, I just want to be on the outsides and I'll just be here waiting if anyone ever asks. Sober judgment says you are a part of something. So within the boundaries of what God has given you, not hyperfortinio, you follow me. Here's the problem. This thinking highly of yourselves, this wanting to live outside of your boundaries, it was the first attack on man in scripture. Listen to what happened in the garden. Genesis 3 Verse four and five. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die for God knows that when you eat of it, if you disobey God, if you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God out of your boundaries into his. Knowing, having an understanding of good and evil. See, sin tempts you to believe that there's an understanding that is outside of you that you should reach for. What the Spirit says is every good and perfect gift comes to you from the Father of life. Seek me and I will. Seek me and you will find me. Church, are you still listening to the whispers of that snake in the grass? trying to tell you to live for Jesus, you must have a hyper understanding of who you are. Why do you think the world is so fixated on breaking your understanding? I'm breaking your understanding of marriage. I'm breaking your understanding of faithfulness. I'm breaking your understanding of identity. I'm breaking your understanding of joy. I'm breaking your understanding of pain. I'm breaking your understanding of who you are because that's the ace of spades in the enemy's deck. If you and I, as Christian or one not following Christ, can live in the fictitious world outside of the boundaries of the reality is who God has designed you to be, then you will be lost in the swamp. And that's the same lie he told in the garden. So for the grace of God given to you, I say to you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you are, but with sober understanding or with a sober mind, the Bible says it this way, according to the measure of faith that God has assigned to you. What does that look like? What does it look like to see ourselves and to make decisions about what it means to live for God with joy and freedom? 
with a sober mind. It means that all of your thoughts are measured by the faith that God has given you by grace. It's not saying, well, you know, the preacher has a triple portion of faith God gave to him. That's why he's a preacher. You have a quarter cup of faith. Sorry for you. If you were like me, you'd be better, right? That's a hyperphrenio. What it means here is the way to have sober judgment is to cling to the measure of faith that God has given you. That faith is sufficient because his grace was enough. And so when you are saying, God, what do I do? How do I live? How might you use me? How do I experience the joy of your salvation in seeking you day in and day out with my whole heart, my whole mind, and my whole self? He says, the way you do it is you don't listen to the snake in the grass, but you cling to the measure of faith that I have given you in Christ Jesus. And you let that measure of faith filter everything you do. The Lord isn't telling you you need more. He's telling you you need to cling to the faith that he has provided you. And when you do that, you start to see yourself in light of God's plan, not just for you, but for his bride. Verse four through eight. Let's read it together. Look in your Bible. The Bible's four through six, and we'll pause. Four through six. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. And I'm gonna pause and we'll read six again. But do you hear what's going on here? What Paul says is, as a living sacrifice... With a renewed mind, you will know that you will live your life on God's grace with a sober mind that clears your eyes up, that shows you you are a unique part of something bigger. You are not alone. You are not meant to carry these burdens. You are meant to be a part of God's plan. You are part of his masterpiece. In Christ, you are already uniquely you. Well, that's a message you need to hear. In Christ, you are one and unique. Listen to what Psalm 139 says. Verse 14, I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. You, your works are wonderful and I know it. Sober judgment very well. When it says I am fearfully and wonderfully made, it doesn't just mean awesome which is true. It means I am fearfully set apart. I am unusual and I am distinct. Church, do you realize that when we hold on to the faith that God gives us, when we read his word, what we say is, God, I am part of one body that has different members and each member has a unique function. Church, what the world says, you must differentiate yourself by distortion. That's what the world tells you. If you're gonna differentiate yourself, you do it by distortion. What scripture says when we hold on to that faith is you are differentiated by design. God made you unique. God made you distinct. God made you unusual. God did that. 
And it's awesome. It's incredible. Do you lean into that? Have you fallen into that spot to say, Lord, there's no one else like me. I, I, need, to, I need to know why you've made me. He has made you distinctly. So if you lean into his faith, not my faith, but his faith, the measure he set aside just for you, Christian, then he will give you sober judgment. He will let you see yourself within the boundaries. And when that happens, verse six through eight, look in your Bible with me. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy in proportion to our faith, if service in our serving, to the one who teaches, to his teaching, to the one who exhorts, in his exhortation, to the one who contributes, in generosity, to the one who leads, with zeal to the one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness I read this and this is what I wrote down David God is encouraging you to use your gifting in the way and the time and the space that is fitting for God's purpose and filling for your soul don't miss it that's what that list is all about David, God has made you uniquely. So with sober judgment, see yourself through the lens of the faith given to you and renew your mind daily so you don't slip on this because God wants you to experience the joy of being a living sacrifice and that's the joy of being in spiritual worship before God. It's that easy. It's that simple. To prophesy means to proclaim. It doesn't mean create visions. If you feel God doing that, then do it in proportion to your faith. Don't pretend that you're more or less than you are, just in proportion to who you are. If that's to serve, then serve. If that's to teach, then teach. If that's to contribute, then do it with generosity, but don't feel like you're less than the one who prophesies. If it's to lead, do it with zeal and passion, but don't feel like something's wrong with you because it looks different than the person gifted with serving. If acts of mercy, do it with chillfulness. All the scripture tells is God has made a sweet spot and he's calling you into it. So look for it. Look for that place. Look for that moment. And watch how God makes your life bloom. It's a reading in John chapter 4, verse 13 through 15. This is what scripture says. Jesus is having a conversation with a woman at a well. She's not a great person. Her testimony kind of stinks. She's been through five husbands and the guy she's living with right now is not her husband. She's ashamed of her life. She's having a rough time. And Jesus starts a conversation. And in verse 13, he says this. Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him, he'll never be thirsty again. The water that I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water 
so that I will not be thirsty or have to come here to draw water. Do you know what Jesus is offering her is what he's offering you and I today? It begins with salvation, trust in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there because that living water keeps springing up in you. You may have thought, this is who I'm supposed to be, and then you had children and God gave you a new role. You look at that role as a mom or a dad in accordance to the faith God has given you. And that will set you apart. It will let you experience the joy of parenting. Your body is broken. Your mind is falling apart. You keep making mistakes. Don't listen to the serpent in the grass. You have already been set apart by Jesus Christ. So say, God, where I am, how I am, let me experience the joy of being a sacrifice for you. And then you look into his word, you look into his heart in the measure that he has given to you already, that faith. It's good for every challenge in life. It's good every time you realize you've been walking in the wrong direction. And here's the beauty. You are not alone. You're not the only one who's ever started walking the wrong way and had to turn around. You're not the only one who's ever found themselves thinking a little bit too proud of how they are, where they are, and measuring against other people. You're not the only one. So let that burden go and walk the other way. Church, this morning, if there's anything you hear, hear about the grace of God and you tie it to that faith and experience the joy of seeing yourself rightly because you are fearfully, wonderfully, uniquely, distinctly, and unusually made by his design. Let's pray. Father God, we love you. Lord, this morning, Lord, we come to you and we ask, Lord, that you might be glorified in our lives. Lord, that the joy of being a living sacrifice, day in and day out, with the renewing of our mind, knowing what your will is, God, would allow us to live a life that stands upon the grace that has been given to us, not that's been earned so that we might see your plan for us, so that we might see who you're calling us to be, so that we might know and understand rightly all through the lens of the faith offered to us through our Lord Jesus. And then God, let us thrive. Let us lean into the gifting you have provided And in whatever proportion we have of that in our maturity, let us live. In Jesus' name, amen.